0: Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. Download episodes of previous shows. Get inspired Monday and Friday right here on your favorite inspirational show. And don't forget about that Friday praise break. Get inspired through encouraging words, special guests, and the inspirational moment where you, the listener, get a chance to be on air. Uh, can you tell me a little bit how that process went uh, with you all there being able to come home under the CARES Act? Incarcerated Mothers Mad Mad Radio show. show. We're online 24-7. You're listening to the hottest school radio station on the, the planet. planet. Uh, you know, been a while, but um, I know they, you know, offered like the parenting classes and, you know. Some other things that, you know, also taught you, you know, how to address different subjects, you know, to the children. Good evening, family. This is Daphne Patterson, CEO and founder of Incarcerated Mothers Matter. Thank you for listening to our second episode. Tonight, we have a lot of good information for you from Incarcerated Mothers Matter. Because here at Incarcerated Mothers Matter, we seek to help, to nurture, and to restore the material bond between mother and child while encouraging the reunification for the incarcerated by connecting them with outside sources. And without further ado, our guest tonight and co-host uh, is Shalena McFarland. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, I want to thank you in advance for stopping by and sharing with us tonight. So Shelena, tell us a little bit about your story.
1: <laughs> Daphne, thank you so much for having me on tonight. It is really an honor. Um, anytime I'm asked to speak and share, my story um, i hope it encourages someone uh, to push through to the next day Uh, i was incarcerated for 16 years in the federal system on a mortgage fraud charge i prior to my incarceration i was an attorney in the atlanta area where i practiced real estate i went to trial and was convicted and the judge sentenced me to 30 years in federal prison as a first time nonviolent offender. At the time I had, uh, my daughter was, uh, had just turned four years old and wow. I went off to prison. In 2020, I was released under the CARES Act program, uh, which was designed to place low risk offenders on home confinement, meaning you wear an ankle monitor. To reduce the population, uh, when COVID began to spread on the inside, I had done 50% of my time, so I qualified for that program. And on June the 9th, uh, 2020, the little four-year-old girl that I left behind, uh, who is now a 20-year-old woman, uh, picked me up along with my parents and brought me to Atlanta to the halfway house where I stayed for a day or so. And then I was released home. Um, And I thought that was truly my blessing. However, you know, God is just truly amazing, and he will not Mm -hmm. be outdone. Mm -hmm. So on the last day of President Trump's uh, time in office, he commuted my sentence, which meant that my time was served. And um, I received executive clemency, which most people refer to as a pardon. And, uh, since then I've been a very vocal advocate. Uh, I've been through too much and God's brought me too far to forget what has occurred with me and what is in the hearts of all the women that I left behind. And, yeah. uh, it's been amazing. Some of the wonderful women that I've met on this journey, uh, Daphne yourself included. So I thank you yeah. once again for having me on the show tonight.
0: Thank you for coming. Thank you for for doing. When I thought about guests to tell their story, you know, you were one of the first people that, you know, popped in my mind because I know you have such an amazing journey, you know, to be able to share with people and to show that, that you know, God is in control and that no matter what we go through, he, he's always there and he's going to lead us in the direction, you know, we need to go. Absolutely, and and uh, tell us a little bit about. Uh, I I know I have your bio here, and and you've done so much in this short time since you you know you've been home since uh, June uh, you know of 2020, and you know just so involved. And I know you've gotten me involved and got me fired up because you know that's one reason you know I wanted to to start that reaching out and giving back you know to our sisters you know that we left behind. And, you know, um, so um, just tell me a little bit about some of the the yeah. advocacy and uh, criminal justice things that, that you're working on, you know, now. Well, I
1: sit on several uh, advisory boards. I sit on the board for Fighting for Freedom, um, Georgia Women on the Rise, uh, the Atlanta uh, Incarcerated Art Project. I am always willing to volunteer my time and talent because there is so much work that needs to be done. So I would strongly encourage any listeners, if you have a few hours to spare, contact your local nonprofit that works in criminal justice reform and offer uh, your time because it can make such a difference. Uh, I'm a, I speak at quite a few conferences. I tend to say more yeses than I do no. When it comes to that, uh, so I, um, it's, it's a been easier since it's been virtual, but now that the country is opening back up again, they want you yeah. to appear in person. So lately I've been traveling a little bit and, uh, I, uh, just keep focused on trying to bring women home and, and men too. <laughs> Uh, yeah how I've, my organization is called the Aramenta Project it's being formed now and for those that don't know Aramenta was the um was Harriet Tubman's real name and so it spoke mm-hmm. to me because it's about if I can't go and unlock the doors of the prison then I can try to get people out one by one so I do that mm-hmm. by being able to connect people with uh with resources with paralegals with attorneys that are willing to take pro bono cases to help them uh, in the various stages of their, of their appeals. And also with uh, helping them with compassionate releases to allow them to come home uh, because the COVID conditions inside, even though the country's opening up uh, people on the inside are still dying. And it is uh, a very, crucial state inside, and a lot of times people are
0: uh, unaware of what's going on with the prison population. Right, um, and we're going to talk about that in our next segment, too. Uh, I (laughs) didn't mean to interrupt you, but I I know, me, you had, um, you know, discussed some things about what's going on still and, you know, what was going on, like, at the beginning of it. And uh, so I know we're going to touch on that um, a little bit more, too, coming up. Sorry to interrupt you. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no problem. So basically, I'm based out of Atlanta. Uh, and I uh, currently work uh, with uh, Ladies of Hope Ministries. I'm their uh, administrative in-reach coordinator, which means I would work on bringing programming and reentry <laughs> services uh, into facilities uh, so that when women come out, they have the support system that they need to be able to get on their own uh, two feet. And uh, it's really amazing and gratifying work.
0: That is so awesome. Uh, I, I know too. You know, your story has been you know featured on NPR, uh, StoryCorps, you know, PBS NewsHour, um, you know, on Sirius Radio uh, on All Heart Radio. Um, yeah, you know, uh, um, so that is just so important. You know, for stories like these to to get out because a lot of times we don't get to hear about, you know, the good things that, you know, that are being done as well. And I certainly know it was a blessing, you know, to be able to receive that, you know, presidential executive, you know, you know from the president on his last day. You know, I know that would be something, you know, that you would, you know, never, you know, never forget. And I know also today one of our major topics we're going to talk about is um, the spread of COVID uh, in the federal prison system. Um, I uh, know um, I did not get to um, witness, per se, a lot that was going on because uh, I was able to come home uh, a month before, you know, before the major lockdown. Um and um uh the information that I'm getting now is uh, actually from um a NPR article uh, that um talked about um you know the beginning and how um the attorney general then um Bill Barr um you know sent a memo to the uh BLP director uh about uh prioritizing home confinement for people. Uh, can you tell me a little bit how that process went, uh, with you all there being able to come home under the CARES Act? Well,
1: as in most of the Bureau of Prison policies, uh, well intended and poorly executed, uh, it was designed to alleviate the overcrowded conditions within the prisons and the inability to social distance for many of you that uh, I don't guess you've probably given much thought to the number of people that are in a, in a correctional setting, but for the FCIs, which are federal correctional institutes and the camps, uh, the work camps that are within the federal system, we are not housed in cells. We are housed in cubicles. So there's, it's not actually a room in most locations. I mean, there are, some exceptions, depending on where the, the where the prison is, but for the most of the ones I know, Tallahassee, Marianna, Coleman, these are female facilities. They they are cubicles, which means that there's no uh, wall, and so there it's impossible. If someone else, if someone coughs, I mean, even when the general flu goes around, it usually runs rampant through the housing unit because you have people that are sharing space. They're touching the, you know, the same sinks and toilets and showers. And, uh, it's just impossible to social, social distance. Also, there's not sufficient cleaning supplies. You aren't allowed to have any kind of bleach or things that would really kill germs, uh, for security purposes. So you're required, you know, you try to use soap and then what happens with that is that they run out and, uh, you have to buy your soap from commissary so some of the some of the commissaries offer like dial antibacterial but once that's sold out you're just out of luck and uh so unfortunately when it comes in it comes in with a vengeance those of us that were inside knew what it was going to be like if and when COVID made it inside and they did a national lockdown where they tried to isolate us but That's technically impossible when your staff is going home every day to their, you know, wives, husbands, and children, and they're still going to school, they're not wearing masks, and you're, you know, interacting with them, and then you're coming to work and interacting with the prison population, and that is how it was introduced. And what caused it to spread further to the point that we had a, we knew about reinfection far before the CDC even acknowledged that it was possible to get reinfected because there were people who had been who had, who had COVID more than one time. And with each time, wow. it weakens your immune system even more. And also the medical care at the prison on the best day is horrible. So for a population of a 1,000 women, you may have uh, two nurses, a couple of techs, and one doctor. And uh, it is, you know, it's very hard to be seen for anything. And uh, so we end up having to nurse each other, which means that the virus is being spread even more so. So then they started with the the quarantining, where if you – Exhibited any symptoms, you were moved to a quarantine unit. But if you were asymptomatic, you just stayed in the regular unit and just continued to infect other people. So it was a it was a a, a no win situation. And so the um, they began to process people who had who were considered um, minimum or out custody, meaning low level offenders. Uh, and, uh, they had served a significant portion of their time, usually 50%, and they had no, uh, disciplinary infractions. So those of us that met that criteria were processed out and then we were given an ankle monitor and placed on home confinement for which we were only allowed to leave the house for, uh, work purposes or for medical purposes or if, uh, we had a, uh, Uh, we could go to uh, get a pass to go to say Walmart uh, or the grocery store once a month. And other than that, you were confined to the house. And so for those people that felt that there was just this mass exodus of, of prisoners being released into the world, that's not what happened at all. As a matter of fact, a lot of us found home confinement to be far more restrictive than the environment that we had inside the prison with being able to move around the compound. Um, not that anyone would complain about being home, but it was not this get out of jail free card that a lot of the conservatives like to portray home confinement as being.
0: Right. I was looking at some statistics and it was saying um uh, as of early March of this year, um thirty eight you know, more than thirty eight thousand people had been released the home confinement during the pandemic. Uh, Of 9,000 of those, you know, uh, it was only 9,000 that qualified under the CARES Act um, because home confinement existed, you know, before the pandemic. But that was a choice that um, the BOP didn't use a lot uh, because up until uh, recently, because of the CARES Act, uh, no one could really uh, apply. Uh, you know, you couldn't apply for it. You couldn't send your motions into the court. You had to go through the judge and the warden to ask for permission if you could apply for it. And then if they said yes, then you went through the court process. And for a lot of people, they, you know, they didn't even get the opportunity um, to apply for it. Uh, and it said, it said, um in twenty twenty um, of all the motion filed it was only ninety six um inmates who themselves filed the motion because it was it, you know about the time they went through that lengthy process um and everything was weeded out it was only ninety six but after the after the first step act um that enabled uh inmates to be able to file their own motions really 13,000 motions were filed in the federal court so it, it it shows you the difference of you know things being controlled um i i know the pandemic was is awful you know was awful it still is you know cuz we we're, we're not over it yet but you know the first step Act did you know offer uh, a way for, you know, people to be able to have more access to the court to get motions and stuff in, but then you also have, you know, that put a backlog as well, you know, because so many um, things were being filed and, you know, court, you know, federal buildings being closed down because of COVID <laughs> and everything. So uh, it, it said um, two, at least uh, one in four that filed a motion in the court for capacity Released um, due to COVID, they actually died before you know their motions could even be granted. So you know that that was pretty you know pretty harsh. You know you know one in four. You know and these people you know a lot of them too were elderly people, um, people you know who already had existing conditions like diabetes. Uh, congestive heart failure, uh, any respiratory illnesses, and, uh, you know, even just being, like you say, being able to get uh, adequate medical care. And, you know, it's just like you said uh, earlier about, you know, the BLP has excellent plans, but, you know, is very hard for execution. And so, you know, a lot when they were asked, you know, questions, you know, that I would say, oh, yeah, you know, everything's okay. We got it in control. We got a COVID, uh, you know, the protocol. You know, we have this. And really, they didn't have the things in place, but and it was okay, you know, to ask for help. And things probably might have been somewhat better if, you know, they just, you know, let other agencies come in and help as well, you know, with that. <laughs> um,
1: well, I think the only true – remedy to the situation would have been to decrease the population. And uh, I don't believe that they fully utilize that ability. Uh, When you have an ankle monitor on, it's GPS, and they're able to locate you within three feet anywhere on the planet. Uh, They can't even do that when you're inside of a facility. So um, the public safety factor really for those people that were nonviolent um was really not an issue even though they made it one to try to stop people from being able to uh come out because an empty bed doesn't make the prison money. And that's what it all right. comes down to.
0: Right, uh, right. And we talked about um, that
1: last week about it being right. and yeah. prison labor drives a lot of the you know, the the entire system. So, without bodies to perform the uh, particularly with the satellite camps for women that support the larger male institutions, without the women being there to run the warehouses and the unicorns and all of those situations uh there if staff has to do it the budget would crumble in a heartbeat because you know they're not gonna be able they can pay an inmate twelve dollars and twelve cents an hour rather. As opposed to, you know, a staff member, where they would be paying them for overtime. So, right, those are all factors that um, that weighed in. One of the biggest things was the fact that home confinement was expanded under uh, under the CARES Act to allow for more than six months, because prior to. The CARES Act being passed, home confinement was limited to the last six months of your sentence. So now there was no limit on the amount of time. So there are some people, myself would have been included, um, had I not received clemency, that would have had, uh, I would have had almost 12 years left to serve on an ankle monitor. Uh, And now there's a bigger issue as the pandemic is about to be designated to be an edemic. Uh, will the Bureau pull those people that have longer sentences back in? And this is a, a, a huge issue because when you come out on the, uh, on home confinement, you're responsible for your own welfare and upkeep. So the Bureau doesn't give your family a check or anything to take care of you. You have to get a job or your family has to, uh, help you out. Um, So you're talking about people that have been home for uh, almost two years, so they've gotten jobs, they've gotten cars, in some cases they've uh, moved into their own housing, and most importantly, they've bonded with their families and their children again. So here's someone who's out doing everything that they're supposed to do, and now you're telling them that they may have to, to go back. And that is just would be the most cruel and inhumane thing that I could imagine. It's hard to have to leave your family one time, but to have to do it twice when you haven't done anything wrong and you've done everything right uh it would is just unconscionable and so there has been a concerted effort to pressure the Biden administration into either granting a mass clemency for those people or uh, uh there was a memo that came out in January of this year in which the bureau said they would evaluate it on a case by case basis but that the length of time remaining on home confinement would be a weighted factor so you know if if I was able to come out and function why do you need to send me back and uh and what happens to my family what happens to uh you know, everything that I've worked to establish it, it just seems self-defeating. Uh, yeah. And those are some of the yes. things that we have to think about at this point in time.
0: Right. And, and it's like, um, like you said, especially that, you know, that bond with those children, you know, it's, it's only hurting the, you know, hurting the children. And like you said, you know, having to rip those the children away from their parents, you know, another time, you know you know that's cruel and inhumane and you know like he said um and especially when people are doing what they're supposed to do and uh you know have a reentry plan you know and you know they are reporting like they're supposed to um also putting money back into the economy because <clears throat> some of the jobs that are being being done are jobs that other people um you know, may not want to do or can't do, you know, uh, especially with the pandemic. So that is um, you know, very, very important even for the outside, you know, economy. And and like you said, too, is a two way street. You know, they talk about the cost of housing uh a person, but that burden of housing uh uh inmate that's nonviolent, um, you know, low, low maintenance. Um, you know, low-level security person, you know, is better off at home because that takes the burden, you know, too, off of the federal system, you know, as well. You know. And so I really I, believe,
1: Daphne, that if the average taxpayer could see what people did at low and 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 camp level facilities, they would insist that they be closed immediately, and these people yeah. go home to to get jobs because. Uh, you have people that work. Sometimes there's a job such as wiping windows, and you work an hour a day. And the rest of the day, you're free to sleep, read, play cards, play games. Uh, yeah. and it it does nothing. And uh, it, it you're you're guaranteed three meals a day, and you know you're given your clothing. They do your laundry for you. It is really, other than the fact of being away from your family, it is not a hard life. And so for even myself as an attorney, I never thought about what happened to my clients when they went to prison. Um, I, in my mind, I guess I thought about, you know, the cup clanging on the bars or them out marching mm-hmm. or them working in the fields or or something along those lines, buying uh, right. into what TV shows us. But in actuality, It's none of that. Um, You're allowed to watch TV all day if you choose to do so. You can crochet. You can do arts and crafts. It is really a very um, low-stress environment unless you make it stressful. But for the most part, these people would be – we would be better off at home raising our children than we are in being incarcerated. Uh, Particularly, there's a huge – segment of white collar criminals and you know people are always saying oh well you know they should have to pay the pay the you know okay fine put them in for six months and then let them come out and pay the rest of the debt off it doesn't have to be uh an overkill when it comes to the sentencing because long sentences these these huge draconian sentences that people are getting uh it it does nothing it does nothing except destroy families
0: Yes, and um, I had a caller uh, last week um, we ended up with, and uh, he was talking about, you know, like some people having to pay, uh, you know, that, you know, their victims and their families. And I was trying to explain to him as well, being, being incarcerated, making 12 cents. Uh An hour, and if a person gets twenty years, they'll never be able to help help their victim and you know or help victim family that might have to take care of someone because um number one, they won't make enough money on the inside to do that, and um number two, you know people you know would be like you said, better off at home where they're monitored, they can go to work and uh you know make a decent wage to be able to manage what they have to and you know, pay back whatever they need to, you know, pay back. Um, One other thing I want to ask you, can you just, like, kind of describe – I know your daughter was four years old when you left. Um, can you kind of just describe a little bit how you were able to just really parent – because I know your daughter, she is such an awesome, magnificent young lady. And I know that that was hard – um, for you, I know for me it was a little bit different because my children um, had finished high school. But can you just describe what that was like? You know, trying to be a parent and and, and micromanage everything with the limited uh, like visitation and phone time and stuff that we had to be able to communicate.
1: Well, it it, it takes a lot of work, and I have to. Um, say that I'm truly blessed to have two of the most wonderful parents on earth that always made sure that I got to see my daughter no matter what part of the country the Bureau chose to, uh, send me to. And, uh, but even during that time, you know, visitation is typically a, um, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday for, uh, six hours. And, um, Even if they come all three days, that's really not a lot of time. However, uh, you have to make it count. And, you know, my daughter and I, we corresponded from the time that she was, you know, four years old. I mean, she couldn't write, but she would color me pictures, and I would color her pictures. I would send her blank pictures out of a coloring book and have her color them and send them back to me, and I would write her a letter that my mother would read to her. And, uh, when she started being able to write, I would get the big cornbread papers with, with, uh, <laughs> with letters on there where I could see where she was trying to make a A or a B and she wrote it backwards and then she erased it. But I got to see that. Unfortunately, now a lot of the prisons are not allowing even children to, you know, for their parents to even receive drawings and things from them any longer claiming that it's being used as a method to introduce contraband into the system, uh, namely drugs. However, we all know that the drugs are really being brought in by the officers, but that's a whole nother topic. But they don't, uh, now they want to photocopy your mail uh, and you get uh, just a, 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 a photocopy of it. So you're not able to have that sheet of paper that your child actually touched. Um, I would spray my per- my uh, my letters with perfume, the same perfume that I would wear to visit. And my daughter would tell me, she tells me now, yeah, it, my letters always, you know, they smelled like you. So I would put them on my pillow. And then if I made her a blanket or, or uh, crocheted her something, I would sleep with it for a few days and then send it to her so it would smell like me. And um, and then you know it was a lot of cards, a lot of crafts that were you know hats, gloves, scarves. I can remember one time my mother wrote me and says, "Sweetheart, please stop uh, spending your money on yarn because everybody in the family has a blanket, a hat, and a scarf, and mittens, <laughs> <laughs> and slippers. <laughs> and slippers. Perhaps you, perhaps you should look at pr- uh, donating them somewhere else." And I had to laugh so then what we did was we put all the all of them together and we donated them to a uh to a cancer uh wing for the patients. So, I mean, there are ways to uh keep in touch. I wrote her letters and I would seal them and I would write on the outside of the letter, read this when you're happy, or read this when you're sad, or read this when you're missing me. Or read this when somebody bothered you at school. or And I would seal them up in, into little envelopes and send them to her. And then she would uh, read it on the appropriate day. So it would be not the same as me being there for her to talk to, but she would know what my thoughts were on the subject. And uh, the hardest thing was adults guilting her about me being in prison. And I would tell anyone um, that does it, the child is not responsible for whatever it is that the parent did. And so they should not have to bear the punishment. Children will be cruel because they don't know any better. Adults will just be messy. And uh, it's wrong. And when you hear another adult doing that, you know, we all need
0: to step up and say, hey, that's not okay. Okay, you know, um." Um, it's like, like you say, um, you know, witness of you know a lot of uh, women with younger children and things that you said. You know, even people can benefit. That's not, you know, incarcerated to stay closer, you know, to their kids, uh, you know, during during the time. And uh, like I had mentioned um, last week about, you know, the the phone calls and and you know being able to to do video visits so you can, you know, see, you know, to see them and, um, you know, just really uh, trying to keep that maternal bond, uh, you know, going. So, you know, with, um, you know, the transformation. Um, Did you get to take the parenting class? I know it's, um, uh, you know, been a while, but um, I know they, you know, offered like the parenting classes and, you know, some other things that, you know, also taught you, you know, how to address different subjects, you know, to the children? Well, my counselor
1: and I had had a disagreement about the parenting class because I explained to them that according to the Bureau of Prisons, my daughter would be 32 years old by the time I was released. So if they really wanted me to parent, they should let me go home. Yeah, gotcha. um, And so I, I, for a long time, resisted taking the parenting class. And then when I did take it, I found it to be very superficial. It was just a series of videos um, just, you know, telling you how to discuss things with your child, written from a context of a psychologist with no understanding of what it's like to um, deal with an incarcerated parent and child. And so, no, I didn't get a lot out of it. Um, The best advice that I got regarding parenting came from other ladies that were incarcerated that were inside with me that guided me on what to do and and how to deal with it. When my daughter went through her terrible teenage years where she was, you know, giving my mother fits, um, they were able to help me with that, you know, when she was um When at visitation, when she would cry, at, you know, when she was leaving and I would mm-hmm. try to hold it together until I got on the outside of the door and then I would be crying and I'd fall in the arms mm-hmm. of one of my, you know, other friends who would, you know, mm-hmm. hold me until I could get over it. Because that is the hardest thing. It's like a heartbreak every weekend. You don't want to give up your visit. You know, you want to see them, but, you know, you all start watching the clock as it gets closer to three o'clock and you Mm -hmm. start dreading it because you know that the goodbye is coming. And so Mm -hmm. you have to figure out a way to get through that. And I would tell people, if you know someone, if you know grandparents or aunts or uncles or cousins or whoever that are raising the children of incarcerated parents, if you can in any way donate funds so that they can be taken to see their mother or father, um, that is like the most amazing thing that you can do. Um, in lieu of that, if you can go to some of the websites that do pictures for, uh, for inmates, like Photo Pigeon and some of the other ones and, and, you know, send them pictures directly from your phone of their children because that's the thing that we, we need to see. We want to know how our kids are doing, what they look like, how they're feeling. And, um, it's, it doesn't have to be, um, Isolating, even though you're not in the same place, it is
0: possible for you to parent successfully from prison. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, the pictures were always important. Um, I think everybody, you know, knew everybody's children and and was invested, you know, uh, you know, with each other as kids because you know we were without them and. You know, you always knew when somebody had a problem with one of the children, you know, even to be able to, you know, take it to church and, you know, pray for someone's kid that's going through, you know, a difficult situation. Uh, so, you know, that community, uh, of mothers was just so important. So that's the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to start this organization because I knew how important, um, you know, it was for me to have, um, you know, friends around me that helped me understand that, you know, what I was going through or, you know, talking me through it and saying, you know, it's going to be okay or, or you know, well, they'll get, you know, better. My child went through the same thing and they ended up, you know, being better. So um, that, you know, that was just one thing because it just, it still, it still takes a community and you got to have the community inside to help and then you have the community that's on the outside. And I applaud all family members, friends, you know, that, that help out, you know, uh, with kids uh, who have incarcerated parents because they are very, very important and vital. They don't know, you know, how vital they are, like you say, even to be able to, you know take uh, you know even the offer ride you know to to take them you know to see their parents you know you know that is just the, you know that's so important you know even even for the kids you know to be able to do that um let's see what else we can talk about here on my list And like right now, um, like with your uh, your organization that that you're creating right now, uh, I'm so excited to hear about it, and I hope you get to come back and and be able to um, you know tell us about about that as well. And I see you have an upcoming book as well that's coming out. Uh, what 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 is the basis for your book? Collateral Consequences.
1: Well, Collateral Consequences talks about essentially my journey through the the from the indictment phase all the way through uh my release and it's just a, a journey um almost like a, a epic saga of what I encountered, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. And um hopefully it'll be out this summer and uh at least my editor is really pushing me to have it out by this summer. But it's just a, a, a tale of my truth as I went through the criminal justice system, having uh, taken an oath as an attorney to uphold the system to then being prosecuted by that system and ultimately uh, sentenced to serve time within that system. So it's, uh, a you know, a perspective of, you know, of my multifaceted journey through the justice system.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And um, I also see here, too, that um, you've uh, been able to be a faculty member as well. I mean, even your experience is just, you know, so vast that I know that you get, you know, offered to, you know, uh, speak at so many different, you know, educational events as well. Right. So um, talk about (laughs) irony
1: of the utmost. So, when I was convicted of my felony, I was ultimately disbarred from the practice of law in georgia um and yet, and still this past August, I was a faculty member, and I had a hundred and i think eighty some odd attorneys in my class through the um the National Association of criminal defense lawyers uh they had me to to uh, teach a class. And so it was funny to me that here this this disbarred attorney is teaching uh, attorneys about the importance of recognizing their, their clients as people and not just case files, which is what I talked about. And, you know, that people are more than just numbers, case numbers in a system that when you encourage someone to plea, it's not just that person that's playing. It it will mean that a child will grow up without a father or a mother. You know, there's a lot to be weighted into that decision, not just to move things expeditiously down a calendar for the sake of judicial economy. And that um, that was an amazing experience. I just was um asked to come back at the end of this month and sit on another panel as a faculty uh, for the I'll same organization. You. So I am excited about that. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't have a desire any longer to practice law. So people ask me, well, now that, you know, you've received your clemency, will you go back and apply to get your license back? The answer is no, I won't. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't have a desire. Um, I don't think in good faith I could take the oath again and, um, uphold something in a system that I know is, is irretrievably broken. So in turn, I will just continue to be an advocate, uh, and, and owe nothing to anyone so that I can really speak my truth and the truth of all those who don't have the
0: voices to be heard, uh, because they're behind the walls. And I know we've been talking uh, about, uh, you know, the criminal justice stuff and reform and COVID. But what do you like to do for fun? What what is what is your your fun day? Now, my my fun day is
1: uh, is having my my daughter uh, home and my parents with me, and uh, probably some aunts and uncles and cousins and. And we're all in my kitchen, and I'm cooking, and uh we're all arguing about if whether or not uh the onions that are going in if first of all, do onions go in potato salad, and secondly, how big should they be chopped <laughs> up you know we We have these debates, and just really just spending time with my family um is the most amazing thing. One thing about prison is that it allows you to appreciate the smallest things in life. And um, my mother recently, she came into my room and I have a walk-in closet in my bedroom and I was in there and I have a little stool that I use to, sit, to get up onto the higher shelf and I was sitting on the stool and I was just crying my eyes out. And my mother's like, what is wrong with you? You know, what happened? Are you okay? Is everything all right? And I'm like, mom, I just realized my closet is bigger than the room that I lived in for, you know, 16 years. And I'm just so grateful. And, you know, it just gives you a different perspective. Uh, One thing about prison, you learn to wait patiently for everything. So while everybody is in the line at Publix or Kroger and they're huffing and puffing at how long the register is, you know, the line is to get to the register, I'm looking around just enjoying being out. So it gives you a totally different perspective on, on life. You learn not to sweat the small things. Um. And it is just, uh, I don't know, it's just different. But, yeah, being around my family is my source of joy.
0: Great. Uh, One other thing, what what was one of the first places you wanted to go when you got home?
1: Oh, wow. Well, I didn't get to go anywhere because I was on home confinement. (laughs) Yeah, but after home confinement. (laughs) Um. When I got my um when I got the notice of my clemency uh, on January the, the the 20th um the first place that I went was to the next morning was to the halfway house so they could cut my ankle monitor off and <laughs> then um <laughs> and then it was also the day of the uh, the inauguration and so then I went over to my cousins and we had a brunch that was a um, we celebrated. We were all wearing chucks and pearls in in honor of Kamala, and uh, we had a brunch. and And then they made me this t shirt that said Free at Last. And um, so they had all this food: lobster tails and shrimp and all sorts of things that they know that I like to eat: crab legs. And uh, we just we just sat around and 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 ate. But it was like a really. Good experience, but, yeah, so I, I still haven't gone to, like, I want to go to the aquarium here in Atlanta. I haven't made it there yet, but I, that's on my bucket list of
0: things to do gotcha. in a short time. Gotcha, gotcha, I mean, this has just been really, really awesome, um, you know, talking with you today and for you to uh, share with us, um, uh, you know, what's what's going on. Uh you know with you and with the organizations do you have like um any other like website or or email or uh social media that uh people could like contact you if um you know they had questions or or wanted to volunteer uh with any of the projects that you're doing?
1: Um, you can reach me on Instagram at Shalena C H A L A N A Shay C H A Y or you can uh email me at Shalena C H A L A N A at the loam Um T H E L O H M, which is the acronym for the Ladies of Hope Ministries. So Shalena at the dot org um is my email so people can feel free to reach out um through either of those um and also I'm on Le- LinkedIn as well Shelena McFarland so um
0: any of those sources
1: or they can contact you Daphne you know how to reach me
0: <laughs> yes, yes yes you can contact me and and we have our Facebook page which it which is uh, incarcerated mothers matter and also, uh, you can uh, also email me at Daphne, D-A-P-H-N-E, the letter P, 309 at com. And also, uh, by telephone, if anyone um, that you know of that um, maybe has some questions about what we talked about, the first step at 2255 uh, motions, um, I also am a consultant for um, Second Chance for Real. And um, top flight evaluations, and then uh, we're um, accepting clients um, to be able to help some of these people, um, you know, help people um, come home and be able to file their right paperwork, and that phone number is 716-495-6756, and that's 176. Four nine five six seven five six, and you also can go to the website. It's www.secondchance, and that's all spelled out: second chance the letter number four, real dot com, and that's www.secondchance the number four, the word real dot com. Uh, you can get all kinds of information there about uh, uh, the different programs that are going on with um, the Second Chance uh, for Real uh, foundations um, and the other programs that they're working with, with community uh, projects, um, with um, housing, um, the legal services, um, and, um, you know, just being able to file your paperwork and uh, getting um, you're getting our family members uh, home. Um is there anything else that you'd like to close with, Shay?
1: I just um wanna once again thank you for having me on the show and I would um ask for all of the listeners to get involved. Uh please get involved. There are people that that desperately uh need your help uh and uh just even the smallest gesture can make the biggest of difference so thank you Daphne for having me and have a wonderful night
0: all right and thank you so much for for joining us thank you thank you so much and just thank the listeners uh for joining us tonight um for incarcerated mothers matter uh we really appreciate uh all of you all listening uh to us and sharing and um we look forward to um you know more listeners joining us um next week I have another uh, great guest that will be here and we will do the advertising for for her um uh, uh coming up in the next couple of days. So I really want you all to be on the lookout for her. Um uh, uh she is uh going to uh really share some uh great uh information with us and this information you know that we've gotten tonight you know has been so informative uh you know about what's going on and about you know just the changes and you know uh the different bobs and how how things you know really are uh, versus, uh, you know, what we see on the news or, you know, read in papers or especially seen in, in movies because uh, it's a whole different world. I know uh, movies um, have to sensationalize to uh, make money and make things um, look, you know, a whole different way, but uh, it, it is uh, so different, um from when you, when you look at a movie, I know whenever I look at a movie, I think, wow, no way. It's not that way. You know, and it makes me laugh, uh, a lot because, um, everything is so different. Um, and we want to make sure to, you know, that we, we keep, um, keep getting our vaccinations. You know, those that uh, believe in getting vac- vaccinated, you know, keep update to on the CDC website for the C D C guidelines um as we um get to uh this portion of the epidemic that um you know that we're going through. I know it's a lot of other things that are going on with the gas prices um going up and you know inflation and so all of these things not only affect uh, us, uh, families, uh, you know, they affect everyone, even people that are incarcerated, because now that gas is higher, they, you know, it might be less business. But I know right now a lot of places aren't even, you know, allowing business, uh, you know, still due to COVID, uh, and things like that. But, um, you know, we'll just, you know, keep, keep the faith and, you know, keep looking out for each other and keep everyone in prayer. Because we know that with God, all things are possible. And I look forward to everyone tuning in with me next week. Uh, It'll be the same time, the same station. Uh, And also, uh, if you want to hear the replay of this, uh, you can go back to the original uh, link that you um, you signed in on or the flyer link that uh, was sent out, and just click it, and it will take you um, to our replay. Uh, So thank you, everyone, tonight for uh, listening and tuning in, and we will see you on next Thursday. Good night. Uh, can you tell me a little bit how that process went uh, with you all there being able to come home under the CARES Act? Incarcerated Mothers Matter Radio Show. show. We're online 24-7. You're listening to the hottest radio station on the planet. Uh, you know, been a while, but um I know they, you know, offered like the parenting classes and, you know, some other things that, you know, also taught you you know, how to address different subjects, you know, to the children. Get inspired Monday and Friday right here on your favorite inspirational show. And don't forget about that Friday praise break. Get inspired through encouraging words, special guests, and the inspirational moment where you, the listener, get a chance to be on air. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes.